Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I welcome you all to Grace Redeemer Community Church. It's a blessing to be here and to worship the Lord. On this beautiful Sunday morning, uh, we're just so grateful to be able to be with you. And uh, for those of you watching at home, uh, we're so happy that you can be with us and uh, that you would worship with us and that we would magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And so uh, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Romans this morning. And this message I am calling... uh, more blessings that accompany belief, more blessings that accompany belief. And so uh, what we saw last week is that there are lots of blessings blessings that accompany belief. And this week, we're going to see that there are even more. Uh, So before we get into the message, let's just ask the Lord for help. Lord God, we do thank you for your word, uh, which saves us, which guides us, Lord, which brings us into your presence and helps us to know your son better, to become more like him. We thank you that you've given us this word, Lord, so that we might know you. And Lord, uh, we just thank you that uh, that we are saved, and we thank you for the present blessings of salvation, and we thank you for the future blessings of salvation that are yet to come. Lord, we lift up our congregation to you. Lord, uh, we have many people who are uh, feeling the effects of this disease, this virus, either economically or from a health uh, perspective, Lord. We just pray your blessings on our church. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, uh, if you watch any late-night TV, you're bound to come across uh, one of those infomercials where you have this pitch man who's selling this incredible product that can do all this kind of amazing stuff. And I recently saw a product being sold the other day called Flex Paste. This stuff is amazing. Uh, So the most impressive thing I saw was that this guy uh, filled a wooden trough with water and then he took a chainsaw and buzzed right through it and water came pouring out of this thing and then he took a trowel full of flex paste and smeared it on the gash and instantly, voila, the thing was completely uh, fixed without a leak at all. Uh, Amazing stuff. I mean, you watch this guy talk for 90 seconds or so uh, and you got to own this stuff. He, he, He picked up uh, a pile of chicken wire, and he, and he made a boat in the shape of chicken wire, and he smeared this flex paste all over the chicken wire, and then he went for a boat ride in this boat made with chicken wire and flex paste. So I'm watching this stuff, and I'm like, I gotta have this stuff. I gotta have flex paste. Uh, we just want so much because it's only $19.99, and, but wait, there's more. If you act now, you'll get not only one tub, but two tubs of this flex paste, and you'll even get free shipping. So Uh, I don't know what to do with these 20 tubs of flex paste in my garage right now, but I just had to have it. So uh, it's amazing stuff. And and, uh, I I think as I'm preaching through Romans 5, I feel like an infomercial pitch man almost because uh, I get to talk about all these incredible blessings that accompany belief in Jesus Christ like I got to talk about last week. And this week, uh, we'll see that there are even more. Uh, Last week, we talked about the blessings that we have peace with God that we live in a state of God's grace, that we exult in the hope of God's glory, and that we have hope even in our afflictions, and that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Just incredible blessings that we presently enjoy while we uh, have this justification, and we, we stand in this, this access that we have to God and his presence. Uh, and, and this week I get to say, but wait, there's more, there's even more. This week we'll talk about the, the future benefits of following him. There, there are so many blessings in following him. So uh, I get to say, uh, don't wait, act now. Why would anybody choose not to follow the blessings uh, that come with salvation? Uh, so we'll talk about these future benefits of salvation in our passage today. 
So let's read uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. So uh, amazing blessings that come, and we'll explore these. So uh, a salesman, if he's going to sell you a product, he has to convince you uh, that you need this product, or he has to raise desire in you that, that you have to have this product, and that's why you'll buy it. Uh, there's a whole psychology of advertising. Uh, advertisers hire a psychologist to uh, figure out how to create this need, uh, to make you feel this need or create this desire within you. Uh, and so we were taught in seminary uh, when in, in preaching class that you have about two to three minutes to capture the listener's attention. And if you don't tell them why they need to hear this message within the first two to three minutes, you've lost them completely. You're not going to draw them back into your uh, sermon again. And so uh, our need to hear this sermon and really every sermon that I preach here at Grace Redeemer Community Church is that we are sinners uh, in desperate need of a Savior and that the blessings that we receive through Jesus Christ as our Savior uh, exist in the present and also extend into the future. And if we want these blessings, we need to know the gospel and we need to know uh, how it is that we are saved and the benefits that follow. And so in this passage, what we're going to see in the beginning is that there is this immeasurable gulf between God and man that make this need for salvation so great. He's so far from us and we are so far from him. And so what we find here is that the words that Paul used to describe us in this passage are many, and we see the kind of condition that we were in before we were saved and the reason why we need a Savior so badly. So let's just look at some of these words that Paul uses to describe us, and we will see our condition. First of all, it's helpless, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, this word helpless is variously translated depending on what version you carry. It might say weak, it might say helpless, it might say powerless. But the idea is that we have no ability on our own to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't do it. Unsaved sinners have no ability uh, to be saved in their own power. And that means that salvation is all God's work. God is sovereign in salvation. And so, uh, we uh, understand throughout the Bible that we can find this uh, kind of teaching in other places. I think uh, of Ephesians 2, which says, and you were dead in your trespasses. Dead means dead. It means no ability. We can't do anything in our own power. Uh, so we were dead in our own trespasses and sins, and then skipping forward to verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So it is God's work. Uh, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So this is where we see God's sovereignty and salvation. We are utterly helpless and we are powerless. Not only that, we are told by Paul that we are also ungodly. Verse 6 again, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
Now, we've seen Paul use this word before uh, in the book of Romans. In chapter 4, this is what he said about us. He said, But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So we see that we are in this ungodly state. We are apathetic towards God. We don't care about God. But it means more than that. Uh, Ungodliness means more than we're just apathetic. It means that we are actually hostile uh, and rebellious to God. And so Peter used this same word uh, when he was writing uh, 2 Peter, talking about uh, how God uh, brought the flood. He said, God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so what we understand from those days, the days of Noah, is it wasn't apathy that caused God to bring the flood. Uh, God can probably stand a little bit of apathy, but he can't stand open hostility and rebellion, and that's what the people were at the time. And so he destroyed the world, not because of apathy, but because of hostility and rebellion against him. So we're powerless and we're ungodly. Here's a third term that Paul used to describe us. We're sinners, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that there's not a whole lot of difference between being ungodly and being a sinner. It just describes our general state as separated from him. We've missed his mark of holiness and righteousness. It shows us that he is so far above us and we are so far below him that the gulf between us is quite immeasurable. And not only are we sinners, we're also enemies. For if we were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So to be an enemy of God means to take up a position against God, to actually stand in open defiance against him, to hate him, to rebel against him. Uh, This kind of language is used by Paul in uh, Romans chapter 8, which we'll get to in a few weeks or perhaps months. Uh, The mind of the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to the law of God and is in fact unable to do so. And so we see this hostility, this being an enemy of God. The the, the mind of the flesh is hostile toward God. And finally, uh, another condition is that we are fickle. And when I use the word fickle, I mean that we're just not committed to anything. We just don't stand strong in our convictions uh, in in having to to do with things uh, about God. In verse 7, it says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. So we are not loving like our Father. We are not sacrificial like our Father. And it's the rare case when somebody will die for another uh, we see it in war, you know, and when a soldier goes off to war, he might die uh, for his fe- fellow so- soldier. He's certainly putting his life at risk for our freedoms. Those things are certainly true. Uh, sometimes we see it in families also, uh, but it's rare. It's a rare case when somebody is willing to sacrifice for someone else. Uh, this language that Paul used here uh, for the good man and the righteous man, uh, the commentators disagree on whether there's an actual difference between the two. If there is a difference, it's that the righteous man does what is right, but kind of keeps it to himself. Uh, He's righteous in his personal life, but maybe lacks feeling for others, Uh, whereas the good man goes beyond what the righteous man does. He's righteous in his conduct, and yet is benevolent and kind toward others. Uh, But either way, I think Paul's point is that we weren't either one of these things. We're not good, and we're not righteous. And not only that, uh, we wouldn't die for either. Uh, We wouldn't die for the righteous man, and most likely we're not going to die for the good man either. 
And that's because we love ourselves too much. We love our lives too much. We love our comfort too much. And uh, it's only on very rare occasions where we'll read a story about sacrificial love. And the reason why those stories are so newsworthy is because they are so rare. And so this is the state of unsaved man. Uh, the state of unsaved man is that he is helpless. He's dead in his sin. He's rebellious. He's hostile to God. He's God's enemy. We're fickle to each other. We're fickle towards God. We have a, an uncommitted attitude. And this is who we are. And when we realize how far away from God we are, then we can understand the depths that God went to to save us, to reach down as far as he did uh, to reach us and pull him up towards him and to redeem us. And so in contrast to man, we also see Paul say several things about God uh, in this passage. And we want to focus on those things because it really sets the gulf. We can see the, the, the immensity of the gulf between us. Uh, and so the first thing that we can see about God's character here is that it is loving. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we think about God's love, we're told of it that it is, or Paul shows it to us in two ways in this passage, verses 1 through 11, which remember I said last week was really kind of one unit. Uh, last week we saw that God has poured his Holy Spirit into us. That means that God lives inside of us and, and he guides us and he steers us and, and he, he loves us from being inside of us. And now this is the second way that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So uh, two uh, indisputable ways that we know that God loves us, uh, the Holy Spirit poured into us and that Christ died for us. Now, there are many times in our lives when we don't understand God's plan, right? And, and we're living in a time now where the coronavirus has plagued the world for a few months now, uh, and we don't really know what God is doing through it. We pray that he's using it for revival and to draw us all closer to him, but none of us can stand here today and say, I know what God's plan is uh, for this coronavirus. We just don't know. But one thing that every Christian should be able to say with 100% conviction is that we know that God's purpose in whatever he's doing and whatever, he's, whatever reason he has behind the coronavirus or any other kind of suffering, it's not that he doesn't love us. We all ought to be able to say that. We know that the reason that God allows suffering uh, is something other than that he doesn't love us because God has sent his son to die on our behalf uh, in our place so that we can have eternal life. And so obviously God would not do that if he didn't love us which leads us to the second thing that we learn about God's character, and that is that it is sacrificial. We see that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the Greek word means that Christ died on our behalf or in our place. And so uh, it's like we're on death row and uh, we're about to be executed and Jesus walks into the jail, into death row and into the execution room and he frees us and he sits down in our place and takes the punishment that we deserve so that when uh, it comes our time for reckoning, uh, the judge, God, will say, no, the, the price for that sin has already been paid. And so that's the very essence of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love gives, it sacrifices even to the point of death. Uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. And so God had to allow Jesus to be sacrificed. 
And Jesus had to come to earth, become a man, uh, beset with all the infirmities and weaknesses that come with being a man. And then he had to allow himself to fall into the hands of wicked men and to suffer the agony of crucifixion uh, when every fiber in his, in his humanity in the Garden of Gethsemane, while he sweat dro drops of blood, wanted to walk away from that thing, uh, he went forward to the cross, knowing it was the only way that we could be saved. And so he's loving, he's sacrificial, and he's also reconciliatory. Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Well, with us understanding how rebellious we are, uh, you might think that it's our responsibility to go and be reconciled to the one that we have sinned against. And what is so stunning about God's love is that it's actually God who provides the means of reconciliation. He's the one who makes the move toward us so that we could be reconciled. And that's what Jesus' work on the cross is all about. In fact, we could never be reconciled without Jesus' work on the cross because he is the mediator between God and us, as we talked about last week. Without Jesus' work on the cross, we could never be reconciled to God. And what we saw last week is that the cross is God's offer to us in our rebellious state that we might be reconciled to him and to have peace with him. And the only way to have it is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you from personal experience that when I was uh, an unsaved sinner and a rebel against God, there was no part of me that wanted to be saved, that wanted to be reconciled to God. I was perfectly happy and oblivious in my sin, didn't care a thing about God, but God in his mercy uh, reached down and, and to me individually, this wretched sinner who was openly hostile to him and and use the Holy Spirit to, to draw me to himself and to open my eyes so that I might see his beauty and the ugliness of my own sin and recognize my need for a savior. That's God doing the reconciling work. That doesn't come from me at all. He gets all the credit for that. And many of you, if you've come to Christ later in life, you've had that same experience where uh, you were living in sin, uh, happy as a clam, and then God did something amazing in your life uh, to change you so that you saw how beautiful he was, and he bridged that gulf between us and him. And so when we think about that, that, that should cause awe in us that God could do that amazing work. And God not only <clears throat> removed our hostility toward him, but he actually waived his right to have his wrath poured out on us at the same time. So reconciliation works both ways. We need to be reconciled to him uh, so that he might accept us. Uh, but he also forewent, forego, he foregoed, he forewent his right to uh, have punishment against us, to, to enact or exact the wrath against us that we deserve because he poured it out in, on Jesus instead. So he's uh, all these things, he's loving, he's sacrificial, he's reconciliatory, and he is timely also. For while we were still helpless, verse 6, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, God has a plan, and God works things out in his own timing. And, and we are, you know, often not satisfied with God's timing. We want God to do everything faster. We want uh, relief from suffering faster. We want uh, whatever, our stimulus check to come faster. Whatever it is, we always seem to want God to work faster, except when it comes to judgment for our sin, of course. And we want to push that off as far as we possibly can. And we're thankful for Jesus Christ who paid that price for us. 
Uh, but God's timing is always perfect. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says that God sent Jesus in the fullness of time. Uh, so when God was ready, when God had arranged everything in his sovereignty uh, to send Jesus, that's when he sent Jesus. And so uh, we know from history now that there was relative peace uh, in, the, in the world at the time due to the Roman Pax Romana. And we know that the roads had been all networked. The Romans built the roads so that the gospel could be carried all over the world uh, through these Roman roads. We know linguistically that most of the people uh, spoke Aramaic, but some people spoke Greek and Latin as well. So the, the gospel was easily transmitted via language across these Roman roads. Uh, we know that the Jews were eagerly waiting for their Messiah, and the time was perfect for Jesus to come. That was God's perfect timing. And so we have to trust God's timing. When we are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and saying, God, how long? Or God, when will you bring relief to the coronavirus or whatever the trouble happens to be in our life? We have to understand that God's timing is perfect. So to recap, God is perfect and we are not. Great revelation there, right? Now we all know that. God is perfect. His character is perfect. And and at the right time, while we were sinners, while we were hostile, while we were enemies, while we were fickle toward him, uh, Christ died for us. And so we talked about these five present benefits that we have last week for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is what we presently have, peace with God. We live in this state of God's grace. Uh, we exult in the hope of God's glory. We have hope even in our afflictions, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which is evidence that uh, this hope that we have will not disappoint. And so we have all of these things, but as we move forward in the passage, we learn that these present blessings exist not only today, but they extend every day of our lives and then also into eternity. So let's look then at the future benefits of justification. Uh, the first one is this, that we will be saved from his wrath. We understand that there is a past and there is a present and there is a future uh, tense of salvation, right? We understand that, that at a point in time, uh, for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, there was a point in time when we believed and we were saved. That's a past tense event that happened in a, at a moment in history. And we may not be able to identify in our own lives what moment that was. We might not be able to say, I was saved on X date uh, or at X time. But God knows, and the only thing that's important is that we were saved, not that we know exactly when we were saved. Uh, so that's the already part. Uh, there's an already not yet aspect to salvation. That's the already part. There is also a present tense of salvation. Uh, we are uh, moving through the book of Romans, and as we get to chapter 6 and 7, we're going to see in greater detail uh, this process of how we are becoming uh, more and more freed from the power of sin uh, as we learn to cooperate daily with the Holy Spirit who's working in our lives to uh, make us more Christ-like. And we saw last week how he does that through uh, affliction and perseverance and endurance and, and character, how these things are built, and we'll see that in greater uh, detail in chapters 6 and 7. And we also understand that there is a future aspect to salvation, and this is the not yet part. We have not yet been fully freed from the power of sin, and we have not yet been freed from uh, the afflictions that beset humanity. These things are still a part of us. Uh, we have not yet died and gone to heaven, and we have not yet heard the words from our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome into 
the joy of your master. Uh, these things still await future fulfillment, and all of these things will happen to us unless the Lord returns first. There's still much more to come in terms of these blessings that follow, that accompany justification. And that's why Paul could use this phrase much more than uh, two times uh, in talking about these benefits of, of, uh, of justification. If God would do this for us when we were enemies, how much more will he do for us now that we are reconciled to him? Uh, so this phrase, uh, much more than, that Paul uses two times uh, in this passage is a greater to lesser argument. Uh, so the idea behind it is that if God can do the greater thing, can't we trust him to do the lesser thing? If he can do the hard thing, can't we trust him to do the easier thing? And obviously the answer is yes. Uh, God has already done the hard thing. He died on the cross for our sins. He's already done the hard thing. He's reconciled us to himself. And if you remember what you were like uh, before you were saved, you know what an incredible miracle that was, that you could be reconciled to God uh, in the sinful state that you were in. And he's reconciled us to him while we were his enemies. And so surely if we can trust him to do the hard thing, we can trust him to do the easier thing of saving us from his wrath. So uh, now that we're his friends. So let's look at Paul's argument, this uh, greater to lesser argument. The first much more than is having been justified by his blood, now we shall be saved from his wrath. So the hard thing is justification uh, by faith, right? That's the hard work. For God to forego his wrath, well, that's the easy thing. So if we can trust him for the hard thing, we can trust him for the easy thing. We've been justified by his blood. And that means not the blood itself, but the blood that represents the atoning work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, paying uh, our sin debt. He shed his blood on a as a sacrifice for us. And when we trust in his atoning work for us, well, then uh, we have salvation past tense and we stand not guilty right now present tense before God because we have been reconciled and justified and because of our position as redeemed sinners we have this future tense of salvation that God shall save us in the future from his wrath so we see that we can trust God to do the hard thing we certainly can trust him to do the easy thing but we have to recognize that God's wrath is something that is reality. God has poured out his wrath against sin. We saw that in chapter 1, that it's present tense. God is pouring out his wrath presently against sin in the world. And we have to remember that God is holy and just. And if he is going to remain holy and just, he can't tolerate sin. He has to punish sin. And so that's what he did in uh, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people like to cherry pick the attributes of God that they like and they discard the attributes of God that they don't like, right? Everybody wants a loving God. We love this God of love who is meek and mild, but nobody, not nobody, but few people like a God of wrath who is angry and holy and punishes sin. Uh, when people are trying to invent this version of God that they like, they always choose the attribute of love. They rarely pick justice and holiness uh, because they're creating a God that appeals to them. They don't like a God of wrath. But we have to remember that God's wrath is on the entire world because of the presence of sin. And anyone who has not been reconciled to God is going to experience that wrath. John 3.36 says that whoever believes in the Son, has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. 
So when we think about God's wrath, we just have to praise the Lord that as believers, we are not going to experience it because God, in his immeasurable grace, has given us a way out. And that way out is through Jesus Christ. Believe in the Son. It's that simple. And believers know that just because we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy on earth. We're going to have suffering. We're going to have hardship. But as believers, we know that one day we are going to die and we are going to be in the presence of God who has promised that he will welcome us into heaven and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more pain and suffering. And so that is the promise to believers. But for unbelievers, it's exactly the opposite. They're still going to suffer a pain in this life, but for them, death is not going to be a respite from the pain and suffering of this life. It's just going to be a gateway into eternal pain and suffering. And, and that is the part that's so tragic when a believer or when, when an unbeliever rejects what God has done for him on the cross. And so it's only in, in uh, juxtaposing uh, our destination from the unbeliever's destination that we can see how great God's work is, that he will spare us from his wrath. And so we'll not experience God's wrath because he bore it uh, through Jesus Christ on the cross. So the first thing then is that we will be saved from his wrath. And the second thing, the second future benefit of justification is that we will be saved by his life. And this is the second much more than argument. For if we were enemies, or if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And so what we saw in the first argument is that we were justified. And I've, I've said this before, that justification is just a fancy word that means that we are in right legal standing with God. Justification is the legal basis on which he can spare us from his wrath because we have, been, uh, we have, we have believed in Jesus Christ. So justification is a legal term. Reconciliation is a relational term. It means that uh, we have now peace with the person uh, who we previously had, previously had hostility with. We were in conflict with God, but now we have reconciliation. So when he declares us not guilty, he also restores the broken relationship that existed between us because of this conflict that we have. And so we are saved by his life, and we're saved by his life because Jesus is alive. Right now, he's alive, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us with God, uh, saying, uh, yes, this person is sinning, but he has chosen, he has believed in me, and he has placed his trust in me, and so I intercede for this sinner. And that's what Jesus is doing for us right now, and we shall be saved despite our sin because he lives, and so we shall be saved by his life as well. And then what we see in verse 11 is that Paul <clears throat> returns to this theme of rejoicing that we've seen uh, throughout uh, this passage. Uh, in verse 2, uh, Paul said that we uh, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and in verse 3, uh, we rejoice in the hope of our afflictions. And now here, we rejoice in uh, God himself. We exult in God himself through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. So we rejoice because God has provided the way out for us and because of all that God has done in the present and what he will do in the future and what he has done in the past, we have cause to rejoice. So if we would take a second here to just list the advantages, the benefits, the blessings of justification that we've seen in this passage, 
We have this past justification that we saw in verse 1. We have peace with God, verse 1. We have access, or we have been ushered into this state of God's grace as we talked about. We hope in the glory of God, all that the glory of God entails, Jesus Christ and his second coming that we wait for. Uh, we have joy in tribulation because we know that joy produces this character uh, and this hope that, that increases as we suffer. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are going to be delivered from future condemnation. We're going to be ushered into heaven when he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we have present reconciliation with God. I mean, who wouldn't want all of these blessings that accompany justification at no cost? It's not 1999. It's nothing. It's absolutely free. Uh, and, and sadly, there are many in the world who just are not going to receive this justification that God has offered. They reject Jesus Christ and they refuse to believe. And there's a couple reasons why people do that. Uh, one reason is that people think that justification, the gospel message, is foolishness. And that's not something that should be surprising to us. Uh, people, it, it's so simple. The gospel message is so simple. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. It's foolish to some people. Some people think it's too simple. It doesn't make any sense. They have to do something. And so they don't want that kind of salvation. They want to earn their salvation. Uh, and so we, we learn in the Bible that, that uh, in 1 Corinthians it says, uh, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who, are, who of us are being saved, it's the power of God. So we understand it because God has illumined us. He has opened our eyes, but a lot of the world doesn't see that beauty. So they don't believe because they think that they are wise and the gospel is foolish. And another reason people don't believe is because they don't want to change their lifestyle. Uh, let's face it, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your lifestyle is going to change if you're a true believer. And a lot of people don't want to give up their sin because, let's face it, sin is fun for a time uh, until the bill comes due, right? Until sin ensnares us and then uh, we become, uh, we, we become uh, embattled because of the sin that we have. So we want to be sure, if we can, that we, uh, as believers, we want people uh, to understand what sin leads to, and we want to save them uh, or help them, rescue them from uh, the things that sin leads, leads to. And we want to be sure that, that, that we convey this message, that uh, if, if we've lived our lives as sinners, we understand how much time was wasted when we thought we were having fun, we were actually wasting time and we were living this lifestyle that was doing no good. Paul said at one point in his letters, he said, what about this conduct that you are now ashamed of? And that's, that's the conduct that, that has characterized our former life of sin. And we'd like to help rescue other people from the pain that comes with it because though sin may be fun for a time, it causes a whole lot of heartache too. And uh, once we've caused that heartache, it's really hard to undo that. So we'd like to rescue people from that. But as believers, we have to understand that we ourselves can't make anyone exchange their sin for the glory of God. That is all the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to do that work. But one way we can uh, help people along is to show them this particular passage, Romans 5, 1 to 11, and see all the blessings that accompany belief. There are so many blessings that accompany belief, and we are just barely scratching the surface here. So let's remember two things uh, when we think about how we want to present the gospel, and we'll do this by way of application here. And the first thing 
is that the gospel is not a sales pitch, right? It is not a sales pitch. It's an invitation. The gospel is an invitation to have a relationship with this God who we have met personally, who we, who we know, who has rescued us from death and has saved us and is saving us from the power of sin. And when we speak to people uh, about God, we don't sell God like he's a product. We just present God in all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his majesty. Uh, we think about how uh, Jesus Christ presented himself to the apostles, humble and meek and mild and yet strong enough to go to the cross. And we think about how the apostles then presented Christ to us on the pages of scripture. And that's all we have to do. We don't sell Christ to people. We just hold him up in all his beauty to people. We can't do any better than the apostles did on the pages of Scripture. So we just present the gospel and we let the Holy Spirit do the work. So the gospel is not a sales pitch. It's an invitation. And secondly, remember to rejoice. You know, uh, these past six weeks under this stay-at-home order have been pretty difficult, right? Uh, for some people more than others. A lot of people... Uh, have suffered a lot of harm economically, financially, uh, and a lot of people have suffered the loss of loved ones or they've been sick themselves. And, uh, you know, this has been a really hard time, and it might be months or even years before we might say that life is back to normal, if it ever gets back to normal again. So we have to understand <clears throat> that any present comfort that we enjoy is fleeting, uh, but still, any suffering that we happen to be going through is also fleeting. Compared to eternity, it is just the smallest blip on the screen of eternity. Salvation lasts forever, and we have to rejoice in that. Uh, so, you know that people are attracted to joyful people. And I heard Timothy Keller uh, tell a story about a woman in his congregation uh, who suffered from chronic debilitating pain. Uh, she was in pain all the time, and whenever somebody would ask her, how she's doing, she would say, well, it's nothing that the resurrection won't fix. And boy, uh, what a statement. Uh, that is a woman who knows how to rejoice. So uh, in the midst of whatever it is, uh, we can present Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and we can remember what he's done, and we can rejoice in all that it means. We as Christians, we have no reason to be moping around, you know, yes, life's a little bit hard right now, but so what? We'll get through it, and even if we don't, we have eternity waiting in front of us. And so we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to him. He lives inside of us, and we have hope for the present, and we have hope for the future. And if that is not a cause for rejoicing, well, I just don't know what is. So I pray that uh, you at home and us as we uh, stand here in our, in our building today, that we would just dwell on all of these present and future blessings of God and exult in the hope of the glory of God and not let these present circumstances that we happen to be going through right now get us down. Uh, this is just a small, tiny thing compared to all that we have to look forward to in the present and in eternity. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this gospel message. It is so powerful, Lord, when we think about all of these blessings. Lord, we do suffer from time to time, but Lord, we know that you love us because you sent Christ to die and you have promised that we will be spared from your wrath because we have trusted him for our salvation. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone out there right now listening to my voice who has not yet done that, Lord, that that person will trust you for salvation and know that he has a future hope and that he will not experience your wrath, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw an unbeliever to you right now, Lord, and that you would save that person, Lord, that you would 
uh, for the believers in the audience, Lord, that, that they would be encouraged knowing that uh, this is going to be a short-term thing, and Lord, that your blessings last into eternity. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done, and we are just so grateful for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross that we might live. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.